Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. It's not just knowing about the doctrine in the Bible. That is not what we stand for here. Streaming powerful biblically based messages live down the internet. This congregation may never be gathered together again as we see it. Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. Good evening. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. We are streaming live down the internet from London. This show is dedicated to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. On tonight's show, we will discuss the question, What is sin? We will be studying the Bible and learning what it says about sin. Our guest speaker is based in Maryland in the United States of America. More about our guest after we've had some music. They were gone, 
the very minute I confessed Buried in the sea of forgetfulness mm -hmm. Whoa, whoa What is sin? We will be discussing this question tonight with Elder Ray Ricardo. Have a pen and paper ready to write down some notes. Let's call him now and see if he's available. Hello. Hello, good evening, Elder Ricardo. You are live on Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. Welcome. T tonight, Elder will be discussing these questions together. What does the Bible say sin is? Who was the first sinner? What effect does sin have upon us? Did Jesus change the law because of sin? Can we stop sinning without Jesus? So, Elder Ricardo, before we start our discussion tonight, shall we have a word of prayer together? Amen. Our Father in heaven, we again thank you for the privilege and opportunity we have to come together to take this time to discuss a very important topic, That's a topic right. of all other doctrines center. So please bless us now, we pray, be with John, myself, as we take this time to meditate on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Elder DiCarlo, starting right off tonight, what does the Bible say sin is? What would you like to share with our listeners tonight? Well, if we're looking uh, at the biblical definition, not, uh, not what uh, a group of, of people might think or denomination or, uh, or any other particular person or group, uh, because this is important, John. We right. have to find what the Bible says. What does the Scripture teach? Not yes. what, what And of course, in order to do that, then we're going to have to go to 1 John. And as we look at 1 John chapter 3, uh, we will there find the answer uh, to that question, what is sin? Right. And it states the following. 1 John 3, verse 4, uh, it says, Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Right. So there you have a very clear, precise definition of what sin is. Um, you know, uh, people often have said to me, and I'm sure to you as well, John, What's the significance? Why is this so important regarding the nature of sin? Right. Um, and really, it's imperative, I think, when we understand that sin, uh, or the doctrine of sin, needs to be clarified. Because upon it, every other doctrine rests regarding the nature of our salvation. Let, right. me, let me just clarify. The nature of sin defines the nature of man. The nature of man defines the nature of Christ. And the nature of Christ defines the nature of our, our, uh, our, uh, uh, the atonement. And right. then, of course, the atonement clearly defines the nature of our salvation. So when you see that, you will then understand that it is imperative uh, that we understand the nature of sin. Uh, because this will then clarify all those other uh, doctrines relative to the issue of salvation. Yes, right. So, Elder Ray, so in essence, so you've gone straight to the point, and that's what we'd like to hear, straight to the point that the Bible says that sin is the transgression of the law. 
Now, Elder Ray, if you don't mind sharing, which law? Because, you know, some people will say, oh, well, you know, that's ambiguous. Yes. Which law is the Bible talking about? Right. Well, look, absolutely. You know, because, look, when you look at the biblical account regarding the nature of of the law, uh, clearly reference when you're looking at what John is saying, the context, uh, not just in this chapter, but in 1 John itself. Um, we know he's talking about the moral law, uh, the Ten Commandments, because he goes on to talk about this. Uh, for example, he he illustrates the issue of of the of, of pain and murder and and so forth, and and he talks about how this is later on in verses thirteen, uh, 12, 13, 14, 15 of First John three, um, yes. and and. It, where he says, for example, this is verse 15 now, whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. Right. And you know, murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Well, what what com- what law states thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not commit murder? Where? Well, of course, that's the Ten Commandments. Yes, right. So, in the context of 1 John, and particularly verse uh, chapter 3, clearly states that the law that he's referring to there in 1 John 3, 4, Regarding the nature of the definition of sin, it is none other than the Ten Commandments. No, no yes, question. Right. Yes. And by the way, John, just as a footnote on this, uh, not only in terms of the reference of the law, this is a very important point you're bringing up that I want our listeners to understand. When you clarify the nature of that law, we are also clarifying not just the nature of, uh, 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 or the um, uh, the, 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 the nature of sin, but also the manner in which that sin is committed. In yes. other words, let me explain. Uh, there is a a a, a uh, understanding uh, within Christianity that sin is defined in two. Uh, has uh, there's two options. In other words, uh, regarding the nature of sin, one is that it is nature, and the other is that it is a choice right. that one. And uh, and if you look at the at the at the uh, issue of sin, not just within Christianity, but if you broaden out the picture, even within the paganized philosophy uh, uh, of the religious uh, religious systems of the world, yes, teach, and this is paganism. Now they teach that sin is relegated to the issue of matter, and meaning that sin is nature. Sin is not what you do so much as who you are. And Christianity teaches the very opposite of that. Christianity, based on 1 John 3, 4, sin is an act that you commit, not so much regarding the nature of who you are. In other words, sin isn't uh, a a state of being, rather than sin is an act in which you you commit through the exercise of your will by transgressing God's moral law. And this is is because... Later on, I know you're going to be talking about, as you, you brought up earlier in, your, in the uh, comments, you know, can we stop sinning without Jesus? Right. And this is critical, that if you believe that sin is nature and not choice, then you do not accept the doctrine uh, that the Bible teaches that we can have complete and full victory in Jesus Christ. Because, remember... Sin is is uh, um, uh, e- either a nature or choice. It can't be both. And the Bible teaches very clearly it is a choice, not nature. Yes. So plainly and simply, for someone to sin, they have to transgress or disobey God's law. It's as simple yeah, you know. as that, isn't it, Elder DeCarno? Absolutely. You couldn't get any clearer. You couldn't get any clearer. They have to make a willful choice in transgressing God's law. And uh, this is imperative to understand. So in other words, if a person commits sin, they did so willingly, willfully, in the act of transgressing the standard upon which God rests all morality, and that's the great moral law of the Ten Commandments. Yes. It's as simple as that. I couldn't say anything clearer myself, Elder DiCardo. Well, let's move on now. Now that we understand what the Bible says sin is, who was the first sinner? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's, you know what? Now, again, this is very interesting because we're going back now to the origin of sin. Now, yes. now we've covered the nature of sin. Now, where's the origin of it? How did it all start? Well, let's look at a few verses here. We're going to look at John chapter 8. 
We're looking at John chapter 8. The great God, again, the great writer, John, we just yes. looked at first. Now we're going to go through his gospel. In John 8, 44, and I want you to listen to what Jesus says, referring to, uh, to Satan. Um, he says, uh, you are your, now, of course, he's referring, I'm going to give the context here. Yes, right. uh, chastising the religious leaders uh, for their unwillingness to embrace him for who he uh, claimed to be. Of course, obviously, the Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One. Uh, and so he now goes on to tell them, you, you, you know, you say your Abraham is your father. He said, but if you were of the children of Abraham, you would believe me. You would accept me. He said, nice. but you're, that's not, you're of the, your father, the devil. And of course, that cuts really against the grain. Notice what he says here now in 44. You are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. Meaning the desires, whatever nice. Satan desires. His passion, and you have the same passion. He goes on to say this. He was a murderer. Now notice the next phrase. From the beginning. Right. So Jesus clearly states who was the one in the beginning that brought about the sin. That in this particular case, the context, the murderer or the, 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 the passion of death. Who was it? Jesus says from the beginning, who was it? It was Satan himself, the devil. Right. And so Christ, out of Christ's own words, we now know that from the beginning, Satan was the one who brought about the entrance of sin. Now, that's not all, though. Let's look at another passage. Let's look over here in yes. Revelation 12. Let's go over here. Revelation chapter 12. Let's look at this. Revelation 12, verses 7 to 9. Now, in this particular context, John the Revelator, again, John is writing. And John is stating the origin of the conflict of the war in heaven. In other words, yes. where does the begin? And again, it coincides precisely what you're indicating, uh, of the question you're asking, I should say. And that's the origin of sin. And who was it that started this whole thing? Look what it says in verse 7. Here it is now. It says, and there was war in heaven. So we know the origin of the controversy began in heaven. Yes. My and his angels. Now, Michael is another name used to describe Jesus Christ. The last two letters, E-L, Michael, E-L, that is referring to God. Right. And, of course, Michael means the, the archangel, the host of the heaven. In other words, the one who is like God. So, and of course, that's referring to Jesus Christ. And his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. And prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And then he goes on to say, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So here we have from these three verses, 7 to 9, in Revelation 12, yes. the controversy. And, uh, and we know, we know Satan as Jesus uh, uh, clearly stated in John uh, chapter uh, 8, that from the beginning he was a murderer. And so the war began in heaven. Jesus Christ and his angels fought against Satan and his. And, and of course, he did not prevail. All blessings to God Almighty. And he was cast down to this earth. Yes. Now, add one more passage to that. Isaiah 14. In Isaiah 14... Right. 12 to 17, and notice what how Isaiah the prophet describes the fall of Satan. And this is Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 17. Isaiah says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? In other words, he's asking, how did you fall? Why was it that caused you to fall? He says, how art thou kept, cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, and here's where it all begins. It's in the heart. It's all about pride of opinion. And Satan, yes. uh, really, um, this is where it all begins. He says, I will ascend. This is Satan. This is what he's saying in his heart. Right. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation and the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So the essence of the of the position of Satan was that he was going to overthrow God. 
It's what we would call today a coup d'etat. Yes. He was attempting to overthrow the government of God, overthrow God's kingdom. Now, listen, John, watch how this all wraps together. Yes. Yeah, so Look, government can exist without law. Law is always the foundation of any government. Any government or nation that does not have law is an anarchy. It's, an, it's a complete state of rebellion. In other words, let's give an example, the French Revolution. Right. Law thrown out the window, and what did you have? A complete chaotic state of revolution and bloodshed and misery. Yes, no, certainly. Yeah, so what you have here in, in Isaiah 14 is a clear-cut description. There was war in heaven, and Satan rebelled, attempting to overthrow God's government by rebelling against his law. And what is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law. Who yes. started from the beginning? What did Jesus say? Satan. So you put those three passages together, and there's others you can wrap in and kind of enhance a little bit more. But these three passages are clearly defining what happened, when it happened, it seems in terms of the origin of it all, and who started it. It's Satan himself. Yes, and Elder Ricardo, I'd like to thank you for sharing your um, thoughts on this because that's the first time that I've actually looked at verse 12 like that and how did you fall how did you fall Lucifer and um, you know so it's interesting that the Bible explains how he fell Amen. You know, but, but in essence by rebelling against God's government by transgressing against his law and, and that's the basis of sin for us isn't it do we rebel against God's government because if we do then we're sinners it's as simple as that, that, isn't it, Elder? Bring up a very good point. Look, I was just going to mention this. Let, let me tell you this. When you look at this passage and you see the essence of this sin is pride. Yes. It begins in the heart. And anytime we rebel against God, God forbid that we should. But if you should choose to do so, right. it's all about pride, John. It's yes. all about you said it's really coming and, and it's an act of rebellion that's what you're doing yes. i mean if you sin down to a really fundamental issue that everyone can comprehend sin is nothing more than than rebelling against god's will that's what it's really about yes and lucifer was the first to do so now elder um as we move on now we're taking we're looking at this a bit more personally now what effect does sin have upon us well, all right, look, there are many, many passages that deal with what is known as the depravity of man. Right. Uh, now, again, let me explain something here. I want to make this clear to our listeners. The, the doctrine of the depravity of man, as taught by evangelical Christianity, is an infusion of paganis, pa paganistic philosophy and Christianity. It's an infusion of the two concepts. However, the Bible does not subscribe to the paganized philosophy of the depravity of man, even though there may be some similarities. But that doesn't mean similarities equates to, to, uh, to uh, a full agreement. Now, the Bible is very clear on the nature of man. Right. Uh, must be understood. Again, it's, well, you go back into the issue. It all starts with sin. What does the Bible say sin is? Sin is the transgression of God's law. Sin is a choice that you make. It is not a state of being. It's not who you are in terms of your the matter, but rather it is the choice that you make. Now, having established that, let's go over to Isaiah chapter 1. Right. The book of Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah 1, and let's look now at the biblical account of uh, at least some of the verses. We can't look at them all, right. but we'll look at regarding the nature of man, regarding the effects of sin. What does it do to man's nature? Let's look here now in Isaiah chapter 1. We're looking now here in verse 4. Now, Isaiah the prophet is given a vision of the nature of the rebellious uh, condition of God's people. Um, and it starts off in a plural, but then he, he makes it the application to the singular. In other nice. words, take this. And understand the account not only to apply to the nation of, of, of Israel, but to but to you as an individual. Look what he says. Here he says, O sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children of the corruptors, uh, that uh, uh, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger, they are gone uh, away backward. 
Why would you be stricken anymore? Why do you want to continue to suffer? Why do you want to continue to be in a state of rebellion? Will you revolt more and more? The whole head is sick. Now, again, now, this is where it gets to the singular as well as the plural, but this is, comes, applies to every single person. Your, they says the whole head is faint. Excuse me. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not closed up, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. So, what do we understand in the, from this series of passages? Right. The nature of man. Look, we are sick. The effects of sin on the nature of man is that we are in a very bad condition. We really are. It's a sad condition. Go over to Jeremiah. Look at this. Right. Jeremiah chapter 17. Look at this. This is another fantastic passage. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Jeremiah 17, 9. Notice how it describes the, 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 uh, the effect of sin upon man. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Yes. Who can know it? Who can know it? Who knows? Now, he goes on to answer that in verse 10. The Lord searches the heart and tries the reins. So only God knows the true nature of man's heart because we are so bent so, um, uh, uh, let me put it to you. Let me give it a, a clear analogy. This way yes. people can very simple term. Look, imagine we, uh, we were a mechanical machine, right? A piece of, uh, an engine for a car or some kind of, um, mechanical product. Look, to make it very simple, we came off the factory line broken. We're defective. Yes. Effectiveness does not mean we have sinned, but rather we have sinful natures that are prone to sin. In other words, we have a proclivity, a, 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 a bent uh, towards the act of sinning. But remember, sin cannot be sin until the will is activated. In order for the will to be activated, there must be light, a knowledge of, the, of right and wrong. And so, so it's clear that a choice has to be made before sin can be employed. Yes. So, the thing, John, the Bible is saying the effects of sin upon man is such that we are born in a very deplorable state. We're broken. Now, let me just make a reference because it takes too much time on this, but in Romans chapter 5, right. read that chapter carefully because it starts off with the nature of justification and then Paul goes on to explain the, the sin of Adam and then the second Adam being Jesus Christ, meaning that everything that Adam did and had a direct impact on humanity, Christ undid uh, uh, regarding salvation. In other words, uh, Adam brought death into this world. Christ brings life. Um, yes. And you see this, uh, this reversing. And what happens is this. We are born into this world with sinful fallen natures. But remember, sin is not nature. Sin is a choice. And so because we're born with a fallen nature and we have a natural disposition to, to sin and the will is, uh, is, is weak and defective, but not captive to the point where we can't, through the divine grace of God, uh, choose to obey. Uh, the, so what happens is Christ enables us uh, to gain the victory and to be successful in overcoming. However, we've got to understand who we are regarding the nature of the effects of sin upon uh, us. Look, when you realize that you are helpless and hopeless without yes, Christ, that's when you begin to turn to Jesus Christ and pray. As Paul said, I die daily. How did, what brought Paul to that conclusion? Paul knew and understood the nature of man, that without Jesus Christ, every moment of the day, I can't live the godly life that God longs for me to live. Yes. So in essence, Elder Ricardo, we really can't trust ourselves, can we? Ah, very good point. <laughs> very good point. You know, you that statement you just made is classic insight. Look. Let's give the example of Peter. Peter yes. thought he knew. I'll never deny you, Lord. I, not me. No, no. And Jesus said, you don't really know yourself because before the cock crows, he says, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough. Oh, yes. 
that Jesus said. That's precisely what Peter did. And remember, Peter at first didn't believe him. Nope. So you're right, John. Yes. You're absolutely correct. And I'd just like to say this, Elder, as well. You see, because what you, what you shared with from the scripture, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, too many of us think that we're good. We, we yeah. trust in our hearts, you know, um, or moralists. But um, we've got to realize that we're in a, of ourselves, as you've shared with us. We are in a deplorable condition, but thank God for Jesus who by his grace to give us the power to overcome ourselves. And I say this to encourage our listeners as well, because many may be struggling with many temptations and sins and, and trying in their own strength to overcome. But Jesus came, and it's by his grace that we overcome. Give your hearts to him and let him turn out the evil in your lives. That's what I'd just like to encourage you in, and you can give your heart to him today. Well, Elder, um, now... Talking about Jesus, did Jesus change the law because of sin? Because, you know, this is another aspect that some people say, oh, the law was done away with, and, um, you know. So what would you like to share tonight about this? Well, that's a very, again, once again, another interesting point that you're bringing up because there is a great misconception of the relationship of, between Jesus Christ and the law relative to the issue of sin. Yes. And you stated very clearly, look, there are, is a misconception regarding uh, 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 the law and God's grace. Uh, look, God never gave us grace to continue a life of sin. Paul makes that clear in Romans chapter 6. He, he, he yes. states the matter that real quick. This is in Romans chapter 6. Right, Romans 6. How we say that? This is verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, God forbid, how shall we continue, or excuse me, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so, um, <coughs> excuse me, Paul talks about very clearly that grace wasn't given so that we continue, so that we could continue in sin, nice. but rather grace was given so that we could live a godly, holy life. So, What's the relationship between grace, sin, and law, and Christ? And that's the key factor. So yes. let's go to chapter 5. And this, to me, should clarify that issue once and for all. Matthew chapter 5, and let's look at verses 17 to 19. Right. Matthew chapter 5, and we're looking now here at verse 17. Yes. 517. And by the way, for the readers or for the listeners out there, I am reading from the King James Bible. Just want to make that clear, just what translation I'm coming uh, reading from. Listen to what he says. He says, this is the words of Jesus Christ. Yes. John, you know, look, I, I don't know how it could be made any plainer and clearer than the verses I'm about to read. But this comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. So yes. uh, this is his testimony. It's not mine. It's not Paul's. It's not Peter's or James or John's. This is the testimony of, of Jesus himself. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Amen. For verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Now look at verse 19. This is right. critical. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. <coughs> Excuse me. But whoso shall do and teach them, the same shall be called the greatest in the kingdom of, of, of heaven. Yes. <coughs> you know, Elder, you can't get any clearer than that, can you? No. I mean, he said, don't think, don't, don't. Uh, by the way, if we were to put that phrase in 21st uh, century vernacular, do not think, you know, of course, we don't talk that way. Again, this is this is uh, uh, seventh, uh, actually, uh, what, uh, 16th, 17th century language. Um, we would say, uh, don't even let it enter your mind. Don't even give it a thought. Don't yes. even enter the idea. That's what think not means in today's vernacular. So Jesus is saying, don't even give it, a, 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 entertain the idea that I came to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy it. And if you teach people that I that I did, he tells you in verse nineteen. Yes. He says, "If you, and that that I 
called you to disregard the law of God. He says, you will be least in the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, dear friends, let's be very frank about the language he's saying. This is very strong language. Uh, he's saying, you're not going to heaven. It's only those who uphold the law of God and teach men to obey God's commands that are considered great in the eyes of God. It's very clear. Yes. God, so, so Matthew chapter 5, 17 to 19. Yes. And um, I'd just like to say this as well, Elder Ricardo, because, you know, it's just so important for our listeners to understand how important it is to understand the relation of God to his law and how it's established on an eternal basis, you see, that the law guarantees the security of the universe and, and our happiness. Amen. Amen. You bring a very good point up, uh, John, I'll tell you something that people have to understand that the law of God is eternal. Yes. Now, remember this. If we were to sit down and analyze the nature of the law, uh, it, it's very clear um, uh, that the law is a transcript of God's character. It's a revelation of his will. Uh, matter of fact, I'll challenge our readers, our listeners, I'll yes. challenge the to a great Bible study, I want you to look for the attributes of the law, and you can parallel them with the attributes of God, and they're exactly the same. For example, uh, God is eternal. The law is eternal. Right. Uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 God is righteousness. The law is righteousness. And you can, you know, God is good. The law is good. And so forth and so on. You can go down and look at all these attributes. It's a great Bible study, and I think you'll be greatly enhanced if you've ever taken the time to do that. However, let me say this, that yes. when you look at the nature of the law, as you stated, John, the law is eternal. It is eternal uh, because God is eternal. It's a revelation of God's will and character. And so if Jesus came to do away with the law, in essence, he came to do away with God, which is sacrilegious. I mean, this is absolutely sacrilegious. Yes. Jesus came to do away with the law. He came to show us and this is what he means, by the way, when he says, I come not to destroy, but to fulfill. And it, it, the, the actual understanding is that I came to demonstrate. I came to show you through my life what a life can be like by the grace of God in relation to the law. That I came to show you an obedient, humble life. And so, look, yes. let's relate down in very simple terms. What does it mean to obey God's law? It means to be like Jesus. In character. Right. right. Yes. So, really, plain and simply, Elder DiCarlo, Jesus did not change the law because of sin. It's as simple as that, isn't it? It is. It's precisely that. That's right. Look, listen, if, 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 uh, if uh, Jesus could change the law in order to accommodate the, uh, the issue of sin, then why would he have to come and die? All right. we have to do is to change the law. The fact that he had to die shows the immutability of God's law. God's law can't be changed. So the, so the act of Christ on the cross, the, 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 the pinnacle of our redemption, is proof that the law cannot be changed. Yes. So that's right. Yes, and it's something that we should daily ponder upon and realize and understand that the only reason that we're living today is because Christ gave his life for us to uphold and to magnify that law. Amen. Amen. That's a very good concept that you're bringing up, the contemplation of the cross of Christ every day in relation to this issue that we're dealing with. Because <clears throat> when, when you study the Calvary, when you study yes. the cross, and look at very carefully what happened on the cross. You find two things. There's more, look, there's many issues you can, you can study. But two issues is you see how heinous sin is to God. That it caused the death of the Son of God. Yes. See that sin is very serious in the eyes of God. Number two, we also see the immutability of God's law. For if the law could have been changed, there would have been no need for Christ to have died to deal with the sin issue. And the reason he had to deal with the sin issue is because sin is the transgression of the law. And yes. so what Christ do is to demonstrate that the law is not done away with, 
that it can be obeyed by the grace of God, and that uh, that uh, dying on the cross, he finally dealt with the sin issue. So, look, two very important issues can be understood clearly from the cross of Calvary. And yet, uh, sadly to say, within Christianity, what do we find? We find those within Christianity uh, espousing the idea that Christ came to do away with the law, and therefore we're just under grace and we can do as we please. You know, it's 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 the, uh, I heard one writer say, it's the goody-goody religion. You know, nice. just kind of, heaven is your home. Well, no, that's not true. You can't do as you please and think heaven is your home. Uh, dear friends, let me tell you this right now, that unless you surrender your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, regardless of what you may think or what good intentions you may have, uh, you, you have to understand that heaven will never be your home. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and without me, you can do nothing. And so you've got to come to grips with that, dear friend, that unless Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of your life, then uh, sadly to say, dear friends, your house will be crumbling on the day when he returns. But I pray that shall not be. Yes, I pray so too. And Elder Ricardo, uh, my mind has just gone to Revelation chapter 22. Okay. Just And um, verse 14. All right, Revelation 22. Yes, just as he was just expounding to us there. All right, why don't you go ahead and read yes. that, John? It says, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. And so we know that this is the heavenly Jerusalem, you see. And so the Bible makes it clear that unless we keep God's commandments, we're not going to be going into heaven. We're not going into the new Jerusalem. And so here we have another biblical testimony of how important the law of God is. And and, now, and and sin's relation to it. Yes. Let, let me make it very clear to our listeners, and I don't want anybody to, to even uh, jump to any conclusion at this point. <clears throat> In no way does the Bible teach that a man or, or, or a person, individual, is saved by the law itself. The yes. law cannot... Uh, uh, Christ alone can save you, but the law is an instrument used by God to lead us to Christ as Paul states there in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 4, 10. Let me make sure I, I'm going to go back to that real quick. Yes. And go real quick to that. Romans 4, 10. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's uh, 10, 4, I think. Okay, I got yes. it all mixed. Apologize. All right, let me see here. Um, yeah. That's fine. Ten, yes. Or listen to what it says, for Christ is the end, and that, of course, end means the end result. For Christ is the end result of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Meaning that the law leads us to Jesus Christ because the law reveals to us what sin is. Yes. And the end coming to Christ is righteousness, but only to those that believe. In other words, those that have faith in Jesus Christ. So the law is not the means by which we are saved, but rather the means by which to bring us to the one who can save us. Amen. If you stay with the law, you do away with the very means by which we are led to Jesus Christ. How do you know yes. you were How do you know you rebelled against God? How do you know these things? Romans chapter 7 says, I would not have known lust except the law said. Thou shalt not covet. So he makes it clear, Paul makes it very clear, the law is an instrument used by God as a means by which to make you understand uh, that you are a sinner in need of a savior, and the yes. only hope is Jesus Christ. James says that the law is a mirror that upon which you reflect uh, in all honesty who you are in your character. And so you're right, John. Unless we understand the significance and the importance of rendering a, a complete surrender yes. to the Lord Jesus Christ, we will not have right to the tree of life. Absolutely. Yes. And Elder, this brings us on to the next and final point of discussion this evening. Can we stop sinning without Jesus? <laughs> well, let's go to John 15. Let's go to John 15. Right. And look what Jesus says here. John chapter 15. And uh, let's look here 
in verse 5. By the way, let's give a little bit of a context to our listeners. John yes. 15 is the vine and, and the branches. It's a parable Jesus is, is, is illustrating his relationship to his uh, people. Uh, and he is the vine. We are the branches. And, uh, and to put in simple terms, a branch cannot survive disconnected from the vine. Right. Vine gives uh, all its branches life and prosperity. So that's the very essence. It's just yes. a simple describing. But listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 15 and verse 5. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Very simple and clear. And he that abides in me and I in him, the same bring forth much fruit. For without me, listen to what he says, for yes. without me, nothing. So the question is, can we stop sinning without Jesus? What did Jesus say? Without me, you can do nothing. So no, I can't. It's impossible. However, however, let's flip the coin over to the other side. Let's, yes. go, to, let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Now, notice how we flip the coin on the other side. So the first thing that we looked at in John 15, 5 is the negative. Without me, you yes. can do nothing. Let's look at the positive. Look what Jesus, Paul says, referring to Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. or with strength. So what's this, when you put those two passages together, without Jesus, I can't do anything. But what Paul says, but with Jesus Christ, I can, I can do all things. Yes. Now, Elder, um, if you don't mind, let's just pause here for, and um, because I believe this point really needs to be hit home to our listeners that without Christ, we cannot do everything, anything, sorry, but with him, we can do all things. And so with through Christ, there's nothing that we cannot do that is good, in essence. You see, right. there's, there's no limit to what we can do. And I just believe it's good for us to emphasize this point because you have many people that have got many different beliefs, you see, chasing after the many different religions and trying to find something that's going to fulfill them. But nothing can, can fulfill a person more than the strength and grace and love and power that Christ is willing to give. Can we not agree upon this and what the Bible says? Absolutely. It goes right back, John. This is a complete full circle to what you were talking about, the effects of sin. When we understand the true nature of sin, yes. and it's a, us that we are in a state, a deplorable state, uh, we then understand uh, our helplessness. We realize, man, I'm in really bad shape, that I do need God. I do need his help. And so you turn to Christ. And what, what leads me to Jesus? Paul stated very clear in Romans 10, 4, uh, Christ uh, is, is the end result of the law. Who, who leads me to him, and there I find righteousness and peace and happiness through, through justification by faith. Yes. Um, and you're right, John. People are uh, uh, looking for so many other things to find peace of mind and happiness and, and resolution. Look at the deplorable state of the things that are taking place in society today. Yes. Uh, and, 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 and I want our listeners to understand that the only peace of mind you will ever find is in Jesus Christ. You're not going to find it in the things of this world. I can tell you this from personal experience, and John can too. Oh, yes. And our own personal testimony. And I can share with you, dear friend, that you'll never find peace of mind unless you find Jesus Christ. And I pray you will accept him as your Lord and Savior. And I, I, I really do. And friends, it doesn't, it's not complicated. It really isn't. Don't listen to the, these a lot of these theologians and denominational um, uh, hierarchy or what I call priestcraft, you know, don't li listen. It's very simple. You accept, you simply ask Jesus to, to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins. And I'm going to tell you, dear friends, a new life will have been born. And uh, you happiness. You're right, John. I'm so glad that you, you, we've come to this point because without Jesus Christ, we 
we are in a, a, a desperate state. As I, I said again, look at this world. It's going mad. It's going mad. And the reason it's going insane is because we're seeing the world without God. That's really what it's about, John. Look, resu- let me tell you this. There's going to never be a, a solution to the problems of man. I don't care what kind of political leaders and what agreements they make or what, uh, uh, you know, contractual uh, 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 agreements regarding uh, nuclear warheads or whatever they sign. I, it doesn't matter. No. Nothing will be resolved unless Jesus Christ is ruling supremely in the heart of man. Amen. Elder Ricardo, we're just going to have a short break and we'll be back and round off for this evening. Timeless thing, earth and heaven will pass away. It's not a dream, God will make all things new that day. Gone is the curse from which I stumbled and fell. Evil is banished.
Elder Decano, final thoughts for this evening. Well, I'd like to encourage our listeners once again to remember the importance of this wonderful truth regarding the nature of sin relative to our salvation. There's no doubt the Bible teaches, 1 John 3, 4, that sin is a choice that you make. It's a transgression against God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. And that this issue over uh, the, the law of God is imperative. Um, and I pray that you will see that Jesus did not come to do away with the law, but rather to show us how we can, too, through Christ, be obedient to his command. And, uh, and so I want to encourage all our listeners to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and understand the importance of this doctrine. The nature of sin is imperative because, remember, I want to highlight once again, Nature of sin defines the nature of man. The nature of man defines the nature of Christ. The nature of Christ defines the nature of the atonement, and the nature of the atonement defines the nature of our salvation. And so I want to thank once again, John, for the opportunity, and I encourage all our listeners to stay close to Jesus Christ and remember the word of God is the answer, not the opinions of men. Listeners, you've heard Elder Ray and his thoughts on the subject tonight, and I would like to make an appeal to our listeners tonight as well. That if there's anyone that's struggling with sin and is getting discouraged and feels that they can't overcome, I'd like to encourage you to place yourself at the feet of our Savior. He's willing and able to give you all power to overcome those things that you daily struggle with. And if there's anyone here that's listening for the first time who's, who's never given their heart to Christ or who's contemplating taking the Christian walk, like to encourage you to take that first step, to go on your knees and to confess your sins and ask God to reveal himself to you. He will do more than you can ask or think if you just put your trust in him. And so listeners, we'd like to now just end tonight's show with a word of prayer. Elder Ricardo, would you like to pray for us as we wind down the proceedings this evening? Thank you very much. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, again, we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for everything you've ever done for us. We thank you for the clarity of the word of God. And we're so thankful, dear God, that we can approach the throne of grace at this time and that you will help us with any perplexing questions or problems we have. What a wonderful joy it is to know that our Redeemer lives and makes and ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. So bless, I pray, dear God, I, this time that we have spent together in discussing this important topic. Yes. And I ask God that every listener will, uh, will embrace you as the, their Lord and Savior. To Christ our Lord, we pray that you'll forgive us of our sin. Come and take our hearts. And we thank you once again for the opportunity that we've had. And we pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Elder Ricardo. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. If you have any questions, or if you'd like more information, listeners, please send an email to inquiries at wildernesspublications.org, or you can send a text message to 07944-062-786. If you live in the United Kingdom, please contact us with your name and address, and we will send you a free track based upon tonight's show called What is Sin? Those who are living outside the UK can request for an electronic version to be sent to them free. If you have the Android app for Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio, go to the ebook section, then find the title Bible Readings for the Home. At Chapter 7, you'll find the subject Sin. This will give you more information about today's topic. On next week's show, we will be discussing the question, Why was sin permitted? Well, that's it for tonight's show. Until next week, good night and God bless. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. It's not just knowing about the doctrine in the Bible. That is not what we stand for here. Streaming powerful, biblically-based messages live down the internet. This congregation may never be gathered together again as we see it. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio, enlightening the world every week.